Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. Who's happy to be back in church? You know, like, come on. You guys took a two-week vacation. You know, like, some of you are like, it's time to go back. Um, we're starting a new series today. And like I said, we're excited about this series. But before we get that, I just want to take a moment before we just rush on to the year 2023 and we just move forward. I want to take a moment just to celebrate our great God. Uh, I mean, the fact that these are things to celebrate. I mean, we just celebrated a huge amount of money that came from sacrificial giving and saw people up here whose lives have already been changed by this program and are going to continue to be changed. And we get to celebrate continuously seeing people's lives change. That's something we're celebrating, right? Come on. Uh, we had... Like they said in announcements, a record attendance on Christmas Eve and uh, like around 100 people came forward to give their life to Jesus and, and to make that commitment. And I'm sure that on January 29th when we have baptisms, we're going to have so many people taking that next step. Amen? It, it's just, I don't want to just rush forward. We can get, we're in the habit because we're just Americans and we just move, move, move. It, it's important for us to take time, praise, and remember. But it is New Year's. It's a new year, new me. Anybody say that? Um, anybody have a New Year's resolution that they're following? You know, raise your hand. Very few. Um, that's okay. How many had a New Year's resolution and it's already over? Uh, you have that? Uh, here's the funny thing about New Year's resolutions. We have the best intentions when we start them. I personally don't believe in them uh, because they've never worked for me. Uh, I've been doing the same one for 10 years. Never worked. Um, yeah, New Year's resolutions are a funny thing because when it comes to New Year's resolutions, uh, it's often like we get to this point where we're getting towards the end of the year where we're like, what do I want to be different? When we think through New Year's resolutions, I'll give you a little side sermon that doesn't have much to do with my sermon today. When we get to New Year's resolutions, we usually think and resolve to get into the end result, right? Like, hypothetically, like somebody, I want to lose this amount of weight. Let's say I want to lose 30 pounds. Keep your opinions to yourself. You know, don't look at me and say, yes, that's good. I, 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 like, maybe there's someone in this room, I want to quit smoking. Maybe there's someone in this room, I want to quit drinking, whatever it is. We get to this place for New Year's resolutions, and we're like, I want the end result. But then we just think we're going to wake up on January 1st, and it's going to happen because it's a new year, new me. New Year's resolutions, the result is only attained by the changing of habits. That's what we should resolve to. Our focus on the sermon series is gonna be focusing on getting to this place of changing habits in us, changing our view of the world and changing how we interact with it, this counterculture. And there's, there's standards that culture says we should live by. Either negative or positive, there's standards that culture says we should live by. And my hope is that after these two months, we're going to spend eight weeks on just one piece of scripture, the Beatitudes, on the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm hoping by the end of these two months, we'll get to the place where we're not basing our life off of culture's standards, but on God's standards of living. That's the hope. You guys want to hear the cutest New Year's resolution I, I saw? This has nothing to do with my sermon. I just think it's cute. Um, my daughter, in their class, they did this little thing where they wrote out New Year's resolutions. And they would draw a picture and they would write what it is. And my wife sent me a picture of it. It's a little hard to read because she's not a very good writer. Um, don't judge her, she's five years old, okay? Like, some of you are like, oh, uh, she's five. And she, she drew this picture of me and her in it. And underneath it said, I want to this year preach with daddy. How cute is that? And I just want to say in front of everybody, I'm 100% committed to making sure that happens. She's going to preach a sermon. 
know, she's going to preach. And a lot of you are going to get saved. I believe that. And, but New Year's resolutions, New Year, New Me. I want us to have a mindset as we dive into this piece of scripture on looking at our life, examining ourselves, and say, are we living by the standards set by culture, or are we living by the standards set by Jesus? That's the whole, whole thing we're talking through here, this counterculture idea. We're gonna focus on the Beatitudes, like I said, and the, the tagline for this message is this. When, when we pursue Jesus, Jesus changes everything. When we pursue Jesus and we go after him, Jesus changes everything. So let's jump into this piece of scripture in Matthew 5, verses 1 through 3. Normally we preach out of the NLT. I'll be preaching out of the ESV today for anybody who that changes how they're reading. ESV, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 3. It says this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. First question I want to tackle is why are these next couple of verses that we're going to be studying, why are they called the Beatitudes? Why are they called the, the Beatitudes? Well, it comes from this word blessed are. The, 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 word, the original word for blessed are is beyante suit. Beyante suit, blessed are. And what the Beatitudes really are is they are be attitudes. Attitudes to be. Some of you are listening. It's, it's the attitudes that we should strive to be. What it's really saying through this piece of scripture is that those who have these qualities, those who make these habits, those who make this a part of their life, they will be blessed. That's what it's saying. They will be blessed. The first line it says here, it says he went and saw the crowds, he sat down on the mountain, he began to teach, and then verse two it says, and he opened his mouth and taught them. Opened his mouth and taught them. This is important because it's given us the posture of Jesus here. Jesus, he, he goes to the top, he sets down, and then he opens his mouth. When he sets down, he's taking the posture or the position of how teachers of the time would normally teach. That's how they would teach, and it says that when he opened his mouth. Jesus uses his voice in a very strong way here. Jesus proclaims strongly, opening his mouth, declaring this message in a strong way. Many people say that the Sermon on the Mount, which we're reading, is, is thought to be as Jesus' Jesus's declaration of the kingdom. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's declaring the kingdom. He, he's declaring the standards by which we should live based on the kingdom, not based on what the world says. This is what he's declaring here in this moment. It goes on to read, then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are. Blessed are. Some other translation says, God blesses those. The word blessed here can be translated to a word that we would call happy. Happy. I, I view that as a very weak translation of this word blessed here. When you dive deeper into the translations, what it's really saying in the biblical sense of blessed is it's saying divine favor. Divine favor or approval, grace, honor. That's the words that come with this word blessed. Because when we think of the word blessed and we think of the word happy, we think of our current standard of happiness, right? We're either joyful or happy. 
Well, you can't read this and say when Jesus is saying blessed are those who are just happy and put our stance of happiness on it because guess what? Go to the book of Revelation, read some of that stuff. It says blessed are those a lot in it. And they are not happy with what's happening. Blessed. It's, it's calling us to this place of con- like being content, knowing that no matter what is happening, we still have divine favor. We still are honored. We, we are still approved. Jesus is speaking here in the sermon. Jesus is speaking on the new system by how we're called to live. That's what he's saying. Remember, there was the old covenant, the Old Testament, the old way of living, and then we find ourselves in the New Testament, Matthew 5. This is Jesus' first like, public message. Yes, he had been discipling his disciples and sharing stories and truths, but this is the first of a couple of his public declarations. And he's giving us this, giving us this new standard of living. And it's almost like as we read through this and we study the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, you will see that Jesus is going at culture. He's saying, yes, some say live this way, but in the kingdom of God, we're called to live this way. I find it very interesting when I think about this dynamic between the old covenant and the new covenant, and this is Jesus' first sermon, because do you know what the last word is in the Old Testament? Curse. Last word. Last word in the current formation of the Old Testament before we get into the New Testament where we start to lead towards Jesus. The last word is curse, and I find it just amazing that Jesus in his first message is using the word blessed. Blessed, and if you study this enough, you'll see that there is a curse that was tied to the Old Testament covenant. Scripture speaks of, speaks of it. There, there was a curse that was tied to this Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the old way of living. It was the curse of rules and regulations. Because in Genesis 3, we hear of the fall of man. We hear of sin and death. We hear of these things entering the world. And then we hear of the covenant system that is put in place between man and God. And it's based off rules and regulations, sacrificial systems, and this is the curse that they lived under. And then Jesus comes in Matthew 5 and he starts to speak a blessing. And if you read Galatians 3.13, it says this, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Jesus is speaking and ushering in this new covenant to come between humanity and God. That's what he's talking about here. He's proclaiming this, that the curse of traditions and sacrifice and regulations and rules that will be broken by the blood of Jesus and he will be the only thing that matters. That's what he's saying. It goes on to read in the scripture that blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who are poor is the other translations that you'll see. Blessed are the poor in spirit or those who are poor. Now, I'll just be completely honest. When I read this as a young college student who was giving his life to Christ, I read this and I was like, great, I'm super blessed. Poor? I'm so blessed. I'm right with Jesus. This is not talking about a financial poorness. It's not talking about a financial lacking. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is talking about an emptiness spiritually. It's not financial wealth. It's talking about realizing, realizing in us 
that we bring no spiritual assets. We bring no spiritual assets to the covenant between us and God. Think of it this way. I spent a long time kind of processing this idea of spiritual emptiness, being poor, empty in spirit, and what this means. The best visual I could get my head around to kind of paint this in my mind. Imagine you're at a negotiation table. You're at a negotiation table and it's you and Jesus. And you're negotiating to the, to, on the other side, you're negotiating your right to join heaven. You're in this negotiation where you're saying, I'm going to negotiate my way into heaven. The standards, and we know the standards of heaven and all of that. And the question is asked to you at this table, okay, we're talking about the price that needs to be paid. We're talking about the things that need to happen. Put it in my world. Shane, what do you bring to the negotiation table? I begin to think and think and contemplate. Maybe my first reaction is as well, I, I bring my spiritual gifts. Quickly, I'm reminded that those were given to me by God. Then I start to think and think and think, and at this negotiation table, I finally get to the place where I realize that honestly, the only thing I bring to this negotiation is my sin and my rebellion. That's all I bring. That's poor in spirit. Getting to the place where you realize that the spiritual assets that you bring are sin and rebellion, and realizing that Christ is at the table saying, guess what? He doesn't have to bring assets. I sacrificed Jesus, I gave my life, I paid the price. He will inherit the kingdom of God even though he brings only sin and rebellion because my blood has been shed for him, I will negotiate for him. That's what it's saying. It's blessed are the poor in spirit realizing that they bring nothing spiritually to the table. We bring no spiritual assets. Other translations say blessed are those who are poor and realize their need for him and they realize their need for him. This is getting to the place of realizing that there's nothing we can do alone. We get to a place of realizing our need for a savior, realizing our need for Jesus, and that we get to this place of spiritual poorness. This is the starting point. For the rest of this series, it's not an accident that this is the first of the Beatitudes. Because this is the starting point. The rest that we're gonna talk about for the weeks to come are these attitudes that we should be leaning into, but we start with spiritual emptiness, realizing our need for a savior. Realizing our need for a savior is the starting point for us. How does this work with counterculture? I'm gonna dive into this a little deeper later, but. It works like this. We live in a culture that says, you got problems, work harder. You got hangups, do more. You, you, got, you got something in your life, read the right book. You need help in this, try harder. Wake up earlier. A lot of the culture will tell us that the answer to our solutions is these things that are offered. And I'm not saying these things are bad. I'm not saying that reading books are bad. I know some of you were just like, yes, Pastor Shane said, don't read. <laughs> don't read. That's not what I'm saying. 
What I'm saying here is the spiritual emptiness is getting to the place of realizing that those things are only things that will help us. The only way we really find freedom, the only thing that we, the way we really walk forward is getting spiritually empty and allowing Christ to move through us. That's the counter to culture here. You can't work hard enough. You can't do enough, you can't fix enough on your own, but if you make room for Jesus and he's moving through you, watch what he does. That's the spiritual emptiness here. It goes on to read, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor receive the reward of the kingdom of God. That's what it's saying here. Those who are poor in spirit will receive this reward of the kingdom. They will receive the reward. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this about this idea. He says, God does not force the kingdom upon anyone, but gladly gives it to all, before I read this next part, please forgive me. Gladly gives it to all who know they are losers without him and humbly seek his help. God does not force the kingdom onto anyone but gladly gives it to those who are know that they are losers and broken without their savior Jesus. That's what he's proclaiming here. That's what he's calling us to do, is to get to this place of emptiness in a culture that tells us to fill, 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 fill. Do more, do more, do more. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, empty, realizing their need for him, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. So the question I ask myself is, how do we take this knowledge of an, a poor in spirit mindset, how do we take that into changing our life, changing our habits maybe, to live counter to culture standards? I wrote down just a few things here. The first thing we can do is we begin to make room. Getting spiritually poor and emptying yourself is the process of making room for Jesus to move. Culture says, fill, fill, do, do, work, work, run, run. Jesus says, stop, empty, empty, empty. Let me fill, let me run, let me work. That's what he's saying here. That Jesus is the answer. We need to make room in our life for Jesus to begin to move in us. Creating space for him to move. Creating space. Jesus is the answer. Maybe it's that sin issue that you've been struggling with. That you've been trying to conquer on your own. To, to, to get to over it on your own. And you've been working. And you've been trying different things. And, and you've been doing all the right steps but you haven't given it to Jesus. Your pride is causing you to get to a place of, I'm going to fix this, when Jesus is the only one who can fix it. Maybe it's that relationship, your spouse or your friends or your fiance or boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever that is, maybe it's that relationship that's so fractured and you've been trying for years and years, maybe months, maybe days, but you've been trying and trying and trying to fix it and you've been trying to stand tall and be the strong one who can do it and Jesus is saying, no, get broken, get empty, let me stand tall, let me stand strong. That's what he's calling us to. Maybe it's our anger issues that... 
We're just angry at the world and we've been trying to read the books to help us not be mad or maybe it's a, the pain or whatever it is, but we have been so much trying to do it on our own. Being spiritually poor is realizing your need for a savior and getting your pride out of the way and allowing him to move. Amen? I think of this and I think about the American church today. Why this is such a big deal to me. I think if we're honest with ourselves, I think if we all evaluated this and we all looked inwardly or we knew, looked at the church today, we are horrible at this aspect. We, we, we are not great at turning over the things in our life to Jesus. In fact, we are just, we get to this place where the only time we often turn to Jesus or we communicate with him or we allow him to move is when we're in a season of just extreme need. I need this, I need this, I need this. What Jesus is calling us to do, I know it sounds huge, I know it sounds monumental, but Jesus is calling us to live daily, moment by moment, hour by hour, week by week, in a state of emptiness in reliance on him. It's not just when we're up against the wall. It's not just when we need a huge intercession, or it's not just when we need this miracle to fall from heaven, and that's honestly how most of us live our life. We do it on our own until we can't. We, we walk in our own strength until we get to a place of real brokenness. This, this idea that Jesus is presenting here is calling us to a lifestyle of reliance on Christ, a lifestyle of reliance on Jesus. That's what spiritually poor is. Second thing we can do is we can change the scorecard. We can change the scorecard. I mean, most of you probably know what a scorecard is in this place. Think of it like a bowling scorecard. Just this last week, I mean, I'm horrible at bowling. I'm not great. Uh, just this last week, I went bowling with some friends from Grace, some home group leaders. We went bowling, and it was really embarrassing for me. You know, like, they were just way better than me. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, come hear me talk about Jesus on Sundays. Um, you know, just bowling's not my thing, but there's a scorecard, and how the scorecard works is you roll the ball. In some cases, you knock down 10. In my cases, you knock down a couple. And then those scores go up on the board, and they display to everyone how good you are or how bad you are. That's how the scorecard works. What this message that Jesus is preaching here this radical message that goes against culture, what he's preaching is he's calling the followers of him, the Christians, the ones that pursue a life like Christ. What he's calling them to do is change the scoreboard in their life. To, to not look at what culture says is winning. To not look at the standards that culture says this is how you win at life. But to look to scripture and to look to Jesus and that becomes your scoreboard. That becomes your scoreboard, how Jesus says you should live. This changes everything when we figure this out. Realizing that the, you've been sold a lie for most of your life. That the goal of life is to have enough in your retirement so you can die wealthy. The goal of your life is to be happy and have a vacation home in Tahoe. The goal of your life is to have a boat, because how could you live in Reno without a boat? 
The goal in life is to have the perfect family who loves each other. The goal in life is to be famous and stand before people and them applaud you. That's what culture says is winning. Change the scoreboard. I saw this just over these last couple months as I saw a young man who's a member of this church as we talked about Bristlecone and partnering them with their, our year-end gift. He had been saving for a long time to buy his ideal, perfect, best set of golf clubs he could ever own. He had been saving for it and saving for it. He loves golf. He loves to go out. That was everything to him. But then God touched him and said, no, you should do something else. And he took every penny that he had saved up for this golf set and gave it to the year-end gift to Bristlecone. That's a change of the scoreboard. That's a change of viewing the world, not about building my kingdom, but beginning to build Christ's kingdom sacrificing and being okay that when culture looks at me and says you're a loser because you live this way you're a loser because you don't have money you're a loser because you don't have status I'll look back at that quote I just said and say you might say I'm a loser but guess what I'm going to inherit the kingdom of God it's okay it's okay if you say I'm a loser shape you're crazy. You got, why, why would you live like this? Why would you, why would you give, like, why would you want to live this lifestyle? Because I realize I'm spiritually poor and I bring nothing. And it was by the blood of Jesus that I have anything in my life. So every moment of every day should be devoted in my brokenness, crying out to him, saying I'm broken and I'm nothing, but thank you for your son who raises me up and gives me everything I need. That's counterculture living. Be okay being a loser by society's standards because you will inherit the kingdom of God. Last point. This is by far my most spiritually deep point of the sermon. Number three, buckle up. Buckle up. If you start to pursue this lifestyle, these attitudes to be, you start to realize you're spiritually empty. You bring nothing to the table and it's only Jesus. Buckle up because if you commit your life to Jesus, your life will change. It will radically change in ways you might not even think of yet, but everything will begin to change the more we lean into Him. The more we realize that we serve Him and we lean into Him, our life begins to change because Jesus changes. That was soft. Because Jesus changes everything. Not just some things, a life that is committed to Him will be changed from the inside out. And I know you're like, man, Shane is yelling a lot. I swear I'm happy. I'm just passionate about what's happening in our church, in our city. Because Jesus changes everything. Watch what He does. If this group of people just in this room today started to pursue this lifestyle, watch how much our city would change. Watch how much new people would come to this place and find the hope and joy of Christ Jesus. Watch the baptism tanks be too full to where we have to have whole services to do it because we can't just fit it to the end of service. Watch people's lives and eternities be changed forever. That's my prayer. But it starts with us being committed to a life of spiritual brokenness and reliance on Jesus. I'm going to close with this. It's not new year, new you. It's new year, same you, different pursuit of God. That's what will change. That's what will change. New year, same 
broken, same messed up, same person who makes mistakes, same person that's gonna sin probably this week. New year, same me, different pursuit of God. That's how I'm gonna live my life, amen? Let's pray together. Father God, pull us into this place of reliance on you and spiritual emptiness, realizing our need for you. Father, we commit to you in this. Move in us, change us. We love you, Father. We praise you. Pray bold prayers today, and maybe there's somebody in here this morning that needs to pray this with me. Father, whatever it takes to get me to this place, take me. Whatever needs to happen in my life, make it happen, even if it hurts, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, reveal it to me. Because I want to live in spiritual poorness. Relying on you. In your holy name we pray. Amen.